Thank you for joining us on the Fellowship Baptist Church podcast, a podcast of preaching and teaching from the ministries at Fellowship Baptist Church. Fellowship Baptist Church exists to gather, grow, give, and go for the glory of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 1, Moses gives us these words. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debt. This is how to cancel debt. Every creditor is to cancel what he has lent his neighbor. He is not to collect anything from his neighbor or brother because the Lord's release of debt has been proclaimed. You may collect something from a foreigner, but you must forgive whatever your brother owes you. There will be no poor among you. However, because the Lord is certain to bless you in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance, if only you would obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow every one of his commands I'm giving you today. When the Lord your God blesses you as he's promised you, you will lend to many nations, but not borrow. You will rule many nations, but they will not rule you. If there is a poor person among you, one of your brothers within any of your city gates in the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Instead, you are to be open your hand to him freely, loan him enough for whatever need he has. Be careful that there isn't this wicked thought in your heart. The seventh year, the year of canceling debts is near. And you are stingy towards the poor brother and give him nothing. He will cry out to the Lord against you and you will be guilty. Give to him and don't, be, and don't have a stingy heart when you give. And because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything you do. For there will never cease to be poor people in the land. That is why I'm commanding you. Open your hand willingly to your poor and needy brother in your land. If your fellow Hebrew, a man or woman, is sold to you and serves you for six years, you must set him free in the seventh year. When you set him free, do not send him away empty-handed. Give generously to him from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. You are to give him whatever the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord God redeemed you. That is why I am giving you this command today. But if your slave says to you, I don't want to leave you because he loves you and your family and is well off with you, take an owl and pierce through his ear into the door and he will become your slave for life. Also treat your female slave the same way. Do not regard it as a hardship when you set him free because he worked for you six years, worth twice the wages of a hired worker. Then the Lord your God will bless you in everything that you do. Would you pray with me? My gracious master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread throughout the earth abroad the honors of your name. Amen. If you've hung around this church property in in this building uh, long enough, it doesn't take long for you to realize that there is a poverty issue in our community. Take a left right down the road, you can find a whole community of people that are that are homeless. In fact, we've had many homeless people that have come here and slept on our property um, and have used this property to, to sleep in. And you've probably seen, if you've gone down this road several times, um, people walking or riding bikes that are clearly impoverished, clearly in need. These people that live around our community and surround our community. We as the church are called and compelled 
to go to them and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to care for them. They are not a problem to be fixed, but they are a people to be cared for. And we as a church should take these verses and use them to understand, to grasp hold of what it means to care for the poor and the needy around us. We read from James that pure religion, a true religion, is the one that cares for those that are in need. And we see that the Bible is full of commands, full of encouragement that calls God's people to care for those in need. So as we've been walking through the book of Deuteronomy, we have seen several commands. We've seen several callings of God. And here in 15, we see the command of God to care for those who are indebted to us or in some kind of slavery, indentured servitude within the community of Israel. And from that passage, I want to draw our attention. I want to bring to our minds what it means to care for those in need, especially to care for those in need within the community of faith. How are we as the church to care for those within and those without? How are we to care for those in need around us? What is the calling that God has put on us that we cannot ignore and we cannot put to the side? And so what I want us to grasp today, and if you're taking notes, the the central point that I want us to understand, and really more than understand, but to adopt, to make practical, to do, is that the church should care for the physical and spiritual needs of the poor and needy. Now, let me just say that is a simple statement. And it's probably a principle that's not too shocking to you, right? Yep. But if we're honest, that's a hard thing to do. What does it mean to care for the physical and spiritual needs of the poor and needy? What does that actually look like? And how can we do that well so that we're not doing a bunch of things that aren't really helpful? that are just perpetuating the problem, or simply caring for the physical needs but not the spiritual, or or caring just for the spiritual needs but could care less for the physical. What can we do, and how can we do both? And so, as I told Bob this morning, I only have 10 points. So, um, uh, I have six principles I want us to look at and four points of application. What I would like to say to you is this is like um, probably going to be more like drinking through a fire hose then a slow drip. We give you a lot, not say much about it, and leave it with you. And hopefully it will bother you and mess with you and make you think. And so um, if, if you're saying, I'd like to hear more about that, I would love to say more about that. And that's going to be probably the hardest thing is to cut today because um, I have 10 sermons and I'm going to do it in one. So, um, it, yes, so go ahead and get comfortable. Um, Principle number one, Christians should not be stingy and should care for the poor, especially fellow believers who are poor. And we see that especially in verses one through four, that we have this calling to care for those in need, this forgiveness thing. Yeah, God gives a structure to Israel to care for the benefit of the poor, where he commands that all the loans given out for those, uh, those believers, all the loans given out to the people of Israel, on the seventh year, every seventh year, not just, the se- not just seven years since you gave the loan, but every seventh year are to be totally wiped clean. They are to be forgiven. 
And he goes on in verses 7 and 10 and, ta- and says that you should not be stingy. He says to watch yourself of that, that we could be stingy with people. See, a stingy person looks to hold on to as much as their wealth as they possibly can, where a generous person looks for ways to bless others with their wealth. Stingy and generous have no, uh, uh, it, it doesn't matter whether or not you have a lot or a little financially. It is about a heart condition, a heart issue. And as Christians, we should look to give away whatever we've been given so that it is a blessing to those around us. See, God cares how we use our finances, and he wants us to have this open-handedness when it comes to our finances, and especially within the church, to care for those in need around us. Does that mean that we don't care for those on the outside, they're not part of our church? Absolutely not. We can see that very clearly in, in other scriptures. We can see that, that, that truth played out in, in many other scriptures. But the church should care for its poor members, for those members in need. There is a particular emphasis in the scriptures to care for our own. And this means that when the church has a member in need, the church body should rise up and look to care for that person. That's how we should stand up for each other. That's how we should care for each other. Principle number two. Giving involves taking a risk financially, but in taking that risk, we are trusting God to see our sacrifice and provide and bless us. There is a risk in giving, a clear risk in giving. You can see this in this passage where it says, hey, somebody's asking for a loan, but man, what day, what year is it? Oh, we're getting close to that forgiveness time. We're six months away from that forgiveness loan time, and he's asking for a pretty big loan. Maybe I should wait because he may not be able to pay back. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the thing he said, that God warns his people, on. hey, you know it's getting close to forgiveness time. And they're asking for a loan, all of a sudden you're like, eesh, I don't know about that. It does take a risk. It takes a risk to do what God calls us to do. God tells his people to give loans and provide for the needs of their brothers and sisters, knowing that it is extremely possible that you will never see that money again, or you will only get partial repayment. In fact, it's very possible to, to, that somebody may not be able to repay you at all, and you have to forgive that loan and not necessarily seek it out. You have to just let it go. That means at times you will actually get taken advantage of. They will take advantage of you, of your kindness, of your generosity, of this thing. Are we trusting God enough to do what he calls us to do, no matter what the cost is to us? See, when God calls you to obey him, he calls you to trust him. Not trust in your ability to do the thing. Not trust in your financial um, ability to handle the loss. Not trust in the willingness of that person to, to do what is right, but to trust him. Will he see and will he bless? Do we trust him enough that, he will, that we will follow him and do what he calls us to do despite the risk? God doesn't call us to just do easy things. He calls us to take risks and trust him. What is faith without risk? And he promises that he will see. Look back at verse 10. 
Give to him and don't have a stingy heart. And when you give, and because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything that you do. Very similar to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, I believe, where, where he says, seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things that you worry about will be taken care of. Now, do we actually believe that what God's word says is true? That if I am intentionally in my life seeking his kingdom, that I'm seeking after his righteousness, his justice, if I'm doing those things, that God will actually provide for everything that I need. Do I believe that? Do I believe that that will really happen? Or do I have a little bit of a backup plan? See, when you get a loan from a bank, they assess the risk, right? They want to know how much property you got. They want to know how much you make. They want to make sure that you don't have too many kids. They want to make sure that if you mess up and can't pay anymore, that they can go and seize something from you so that they, can, they don't lose any money. I mean, that's their goal, right? They do that all the time. And see, that idea might be great for banking, and it might be a wise business decision, but it is not what the people of God are supposed to do. See, we are not supposed to give based on the amount of risk. I'll give this much because it's, it's less risky. No. Our analysis of repayment should not be based on whether or not that person can repay us. But based, the risk and the analysis is based, will God see and will God do what he says he will do? I mean, that's what it really comes down to, people. Do we believe that God will do what he says he will do? That's the very essence of faith in a lot of different areas and not just financial. Do we believe that God will do what he says he will do? Or do we not believe that? Do we believe he will provide? I mean, there's a lot here, and even Deuteronomy, I mean, just think at the, how he set the people up uh, on a weekly basis to understand this principle, where he would tell them, I'm going to send manna from heaven every day, except for on uh, 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 the, the day of the Sabbath, and you can collect go. But you can only collect enough for your meal that day. If you try to store it, it will rot. You have to say, every day will you supply. Well, this miracle happened every day. And we know that some of the Israelites tried to keep it. They tried to say, well, what if? What if he doesn't supply tomorrow? What if he doesn't give tomorrow? And it rotted. And it shows that when we do not trust the Lord, there is a rot that comes into our lives. Anyways, I've got to move on. Um, there is a great blessing. A great blessing when we trust God and take risks for his kingdom. And many of us are missing out on the blessing of God because we're scared. Because we don't want to take risks. Because we're comfortable. Principle three. Principle three. The Sabbath principle goes beyond a weekly time of worship and rest. For our families. Sabbath also means creating a rest for those in need. You know, God doesn't do things just kind of willy-nilly. He didn't say, hey, when should we do this debt forgiveness thing? Seven years. That sounds good. Seven's a nice number. I like that number. It's not like God is just really in love with the number seven. Seven seems nice. He's trying to say something here, I think, and by using every seventh year in the seven-year cycle. 
just like the seventh day of the week was set, across, set aside for a Sabbath rest for the people where they were to do no work, we also see this seventh year cycle that functions in a very similar way to give the nation rest and to relieve some of the poverty, some of the burdens that come from being under poverty or to be in a massive amount of debt. It was to create this release of burdens for people, to release them from their slavery, release them from their debt. Because God didn't want his people to stay in the state of poverty and slavery, and so it calls them to provide freedom, and, and freedom from debt and freedom from slavery for others. And so part of being God's people is freeing people from their debts and burdens. And when we do that, we tell them that God is not a God of slavery. He is not a works-based God. He is a God of grace and a God of mercy. And so God gives the responsibility of his people to relieve the burdens of those around them so that it can make it a better, this world a better place to live. Now, we are never going to get back to the Garden of Eden this side of heaven. The new heavens and the new earth are something different and something that comes after. But we can realize that God has given his people the dominion, responsibilities, to care for their community, to care for their world, to reflect the goodness of their creator. We're saying we serve an amazing God whose leadership is perfect, whose ways are always good, and if we would fall in line with them, our world would be a better place. And we as his people want to help our community see our God is good in every way. He is not just the God for the afterlife. He is the God for here and now. In other words, this community should feel the blessing of this church in their midst. It should feel blessed because this church is here. Go on that one, go too. Principle four. The motivation for giving away our finances and freeing others is the gospel and the freedom and rescue that we have in Christ. He says to his people, remember, right? He wants you to remember something. That when you free your slave, and you do it willingly, and you do it right-heartedly, and you don't, don't do it begrudgingly, you remember that you were once a slave and the Lord your God freed you. When we remember that we were enslaved to sin and to death. That far greater than a pharaoh king was a satanic ruler who had every single one of us underneath his foot. And not just physically, but spiritually. Our hearts, the core of who we are, were bent away from God. And God, in the grandness of his mercy, through the preaching of the gospel, through that message of freedom, has freed you and me and called us to be his people, has released us once again to be his people. He has taken us from the bondage of slavery to sin and given us a freedom to follow Christ and all that he has done. And because he has done that, because he has loved us with that great love that we are willing to give away, 
See, when you know you have a treasure, when you know you have something valuable, it is easy to give it away. It is easy to give away when you know you have so much of a reserve. I talked about taking a risk, but in some ways there is no risk. Yes, there's a risk here and there. I get that, but we're talking about a, a, a dot on the radar, right? We're talking about a moment in time when God promises us an eternity of blessing. And when we line and put on the scales the loss that we might take and the risk we might take here and now in a year or five years or 20 years or, and, and the great blessings that we receive for all of eternity, nothing can, can, can tip the scales. Eternity always wins. You have been given so much, and so therefore we are called to give it away. So when you find yourself at times hardened towards people in need, and we all do, we all get hardened towards people in need, you know? We see that person on the side of the road, and we can easily dismiss them, right? You know, they're, they're just going to use that for drugs and alcohol. You know, I've helped them out before. They keep coming back. When will they get their life back? When we find ourselves becoming hardened toward those people and stop seeing them as people and seeing them as problems, God calls us back to the gospel. And he says, you don't have a people problem. You have a gospel problem. You haven't been in love with the gospel enough. The gospel hasn't wrecked your heart to, re to realize that these people are made in my image and they are in need. And you are in need and I stepped in and I am calling you to, be, to step in for those in need around you. To be my hands and feet to those around you. See, stinginess is a gospel problem. Principle five. There's a deeper spiritual problem with poverty that can only be fixed by the sharing of the gospel. And poverty is a complex issue. Let's just be honest. It is complex. It is not easy. And whenever you hear some people say, if we just did this, it would solve the problem, they are wrong. They might have one idea that's pretty good. It might be very helpful to go with that idea, but it is a complex problem. But ultimately, it is a spiritual problem. Ultimately, poverty exists because our world has fallen and it is broken. There is no poverty in the Garden of Eden. There is no part, uh, poverty in the kingdom of God to come. And so therefore, poverty is a sin issue. Not sin as in all the people that are poor are, are, are worse sinners than us, I'm not saying that. It is, a, it is a large sin issue. People are stingy because they are selfish and self-centered. And why are they selfish and self-centered? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ has not taken root in their heart. Only the gospel can fundamentally change the core of who a person is. When the gospel comes into a person's life, when the Holy Spirit resides inside of you, something fundamental about you is changed. That doesn't mean you're made perfect from that moment, but you are fundamentally changed. We are converted. The old has passed away and the new has come. We have been 
crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but he who lives within me. All that has happened at the trusting and the believing of the gospel that changes you to your core, and that affects not only your heart, but your actions. And it makes you want to do what God calls you to do. It changes your heart. And so, fundamentally, the only way to uh, fix the whole of the poverty issue around us is to preach the gospel. And as the church, gospel proclamation must be our primary purpose in evangelism and in mission. We must be gospel-preaching people. We are to preach the gospel to every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, to all those around us. And so if you want to help with the poverty issue, we should share the gospel with people and disciple people and what it means to follow Jesus faithfully, especially with their finances and their giving. Because they realize how much they've been given through Christ. Principle six that goes along with this, along with sharing the gospel and a secondary priority, but still essential, is that as God's people, we will support efforts to break down walls of poverty, oppression, and bondage. And we will show the, that God's leadership and God's rule are good for all of society. In other words, we will use our gifts, our power, whether that is financial power, political power, social power, to help create freedom and liberation for people around us. Now, I, I said that the gospel is primary and this is secondary, but here's the problem sometimes. I don't want us to see that they're not both essential. Just because something is secondary doesn't mean that it's not essential. It's like loving your spouse and your children. I believe that it's very clear in Scripture that, that, that you're to love your spouse more than you love your children. That, that, that love is supposed to be primary for your spouse and secondary for your children. That that's the way it should usually work. But that doesn't mean that I love my wife and then I could care less about my kids. Well, y'all are secondary. Who cares? Right? Well, we don't do that. that, that's, not, that that's not what we mean by secondary. It means when push comes to shove, if I have to choose one or the other, if you force me into this, into this area, yes, uh, my wife comes first. But that doesn't mean I abandon my children. And so, yes, when push comes to shove, we preach the gospel first, but that doesn't mean we abandon the poor. That, means, that doesn't mean we don't care for their physical needs. It is still an essential. See, these two ideas of preaching the gospel and caring for the poor and needy are not enemies. They are friends. And that means we should do both and should do both well and with passion. We should care for both and do both. And so we should share the gospel and share our wealth. That's what we should do. We should care for the spiritual needs of our community and the physical needs of our community. And we should always check ourselves to make sure we are doing both well. Because sometimes it can be easier just to preach the gospel but not care for the physical needs. Sometimes it is easier to care for the physical needs and not preach the gospel. And you probably lean one way or the other. I mean, we, we, we all probably lean one side or the other. 
And so sometimes we need to course correct and check our hearts and ask, am I doing one but neglecting another? You know, the, the Ten Commandments, you know, there, there is kind of an order. The first, is, the first few are about God, and then we have this one on family, and then we have this one on these others on community and, and caring for them. But it's not like God said, hey, you know, two out of three, two out of ten ain't bad, you know. Which one do you like? You choose. Pick, pick five of these ten and try to do your best, you know. Sure, there's a priority in loving God, but there's also a priority in loving neighbor. And so we should share the gospel and care for the poor. All right, so we've got some principles. Now, what do we do with those principles? Principles are great. They, they inform us why we do certain things, but what do we do? Now, this is where we could go off, and you can take these principles and apply them to your life as far and as wide as, as the Bible gives you. But what do we do? How do we apply it? What are some things that you can apply to your life and do? Let me give you four points of application. Point one, the church body should help fellow Christians in need, whether that's individuals or families, other believers, other churches, or worldwide Christians. In other words, your brother and sisters in Christ are your responsibility. We should care for the needs of the people in this, in this building that are members of this church, and that are members of the church universal. And we should make every effort to care for those people around the world and, uh, and around this building. See, if we look at the, at the very early stages of the effect of sin in this world, and we see Cain and Abel, two brothers, one kills the other, God goes to one and says, where's your brother? And what is his response? Am I my brother's keeper? And that sinful desire, that sinful problem has been in our hearts since that day. We have a tendency to take care of me and mine. And however you define that, it might be your immediate family. It might be your, you know, extend it out a little bit. Maybe it's your Sunday school class or your group or your, your core group of friends within this, this church. And we kind of, well, we need to take, take care of me and mine. And God wants to push out the borders of that, doesn't he? And says, and he asks us over and over again, where is your brother? How is your brother doing? You say, well, that's not my problem. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I am my brother's keeper. His needs, her needs are my responsibility physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We should be our brother's keepers. And so that's the calling to us, to say, how can I help those around me in need? And it's not always by throwing money at them. And I, 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 I promise you that God will put you in a place where you are extremely uncomfortable. And you will say, well, I'm really talented and good in that, so this is what I should do. And God will ask you to do things that you are not talented, nor do you feel comfortable in. You're, maybe you're really good at, like, the, the serving model. You're, you're, the, you're the person that when somebody's um, a family member passes, you're making five casseroles, you're making cookies, you're bringing them over, you're dropping them off, you're cleaning their house, you're doing all that kind of thing. But when they want to talk to you about how they're feeling, you back up. 
You know, that, ooh, that, you know, here's a casserole, just eat, you know? And sometimes we're the opposite. We're really good at talking about feelings. I'll sit with you, I'll cry with you, I'll help you, and then they say, hey, can I borrow 10 bucks? Whoa. I don't know about that. Know yourself. How is God pressing me to go outside of the things I feel comfortable in to be my brother's keeper? The second point. We as Christians need to understand how our purchases affect others. You know, a lot of times when we think about our finances and, and giving away, we talk about like a donation, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand out a donation. I'm going to make a meal for somebody. I'm going to give money away to this group that's going to help the poor. And we, we think of that. But it's not just those areas that, that God cares about our finances and how it affects people. When we purchase things, that affects people as well. It's not just the money that we give to the poor, or to the poor uh, helping society. It's the money we spend. You know, you can spend so much money on yourself that you get tied up in debt to the point you can't give any money away. You ever heard of the phrase being house poor? I remember when we first bought a house, my aunt told me, you want to make sure you're not house poor. Because this happens all the, all the time. This is, if you haven't bought a house yet, this is going to happen. You're going to put in your finances with, with that mortgage company, and they're going to tell you, you can afford this much house. Yeah, you can afford that much house if you don't have any electricity, don't have cable, don't have a car, and you eat rice and beans every week. Sure, you can afford it. Yeah. If you like the temperature to be 50 degrees in the winter and 90 in the summer, you'll be fine, you know? They tell you that. They, they're like, oh, you can afford this. You actually need to do your own numbers, which is problematic. But you can spend so much on yourself that you have all this stuff, and you're indebted, and everything's tied up, and everything's going to a different place, to a different deal. What if we actually intentionally um, uh, uh, try to live differently so that we would have more money to give away? One of my favorite quotes comes from um, a pastor named John Piper, and he says this, a six-figure income does not require a six-figure lifestyle. I mean, that, that just that challenged me at a, at a young age to say, at what point do I say enough is enough and everything else needs to go to somebody else? Now, that is very not like our culture, right? Because if you can afford it, get it. In fact, we have uh, Super Bowls coming up tonight, right? 30-second commercials, millions of dollars, right? And you know why they spend millions of dollars on a 30-second ad on the Super Bowl? Because you will buy stuff for that. It works. <laughs> if it didn't work, they wouldn't do commercials, right? And there's this, this, this constant call from the culture more, newer, better. You deserve it. I remember hearing that from a, a gentleman one time, and, and I'm not trying to pick on him or anything like that, but I remember he had gotten this brand new truck. He doesn't go here, so just so you know. Um, <laughs> nobody in this room. He said he got this brand new truck. I mean, fully loaded, all nice stuff and everything like that. And and uh, I, I was talking to him. It's like, you know, oh, so you got a new truck? Yeah, he's all happy with it and everything. It's all the bells and whistles. And I, and, I, and I said, you know, did your other truck broke down? No. Well, why'd you get the new one? Well, I just deserved it. You know? 
he was at that place financially where he was able to he was able to buy it right and he and even though and I just wanted I just wanted this new thing and, and again we can pick on that but aren't we all like that right I just want that I deserve it I've had a hard week hard month hard year hard life I worked my butt off I deserve to to have a vacation spot and spend the rest of my days on the beach picking up seashells. And God has called us to something greater than that. He's called us to something greater than a cheap retirement. He has called us to sometimes give things away and sacrifice like we know something greater is coming. Like we really do believe that heaven is better. Like we, we realize that this world has nothing for me, that what I have to come is better. Do we, as God's people, actually believe what the Bible says and so that we will, be, we will actually live differently here and now and give up comfort for the cause? I really, last thing on that. Sometimes we buy products that use slave labor and dangerous practices and hurt people who make the products. And just to be honest, if you haven't known about what's going on with the Uyghur people in China, I would encourage you to look at that and see how some of your products are, are, are made by people who uh, are being abused systematically. So, point three. A local church like Fellowship Baptist Church cannot do everything for the poor, nor can any other local church. And therefore, we need to pray and research the needs of our community to make the best decisions for what to do. If sometimes in the good desire to do something, we do the wrong thing. Let's just do something, right? And sometimes we need to slow down and ask God, and look around and really look around and talk to the people in need and say, what do they actually need? What do they actually want? What would be really actually helpful for them, not just today, but down the road? What can help them in that? And that takes prayer. That takes asking God. But it also takes asking people. And that takes a little bit of time. And I am highly encouraged by the many people who have come to me uh, privately, and, and I, uh, that just said, I see the need of the poor around us. What can we do? I mean, that is such an encouragement as a pastor to, to not have, we got all these poor people around us, they're bothering me. I have people come to me and say, we have poor people around us. How can we as a church help them? Am my heart burdened for them? What can we do for them? That is such a blessing. And what I want to say is, that is the right heart. Now let's take our, let's have the right head pray, let's seek the Lord's wisdom to do what is best for these people and what God is calling us to do. Last point, we made it. Individuals, Christian households getting acquainted with the needs of their neighbors in their neighborhood is one of the best motivations for poverty relief and the be- one of the best ways to know what they need. You know, when you actually start to get involved with people, you start to care about them. It's hard to look at somebody's face and see their need and just walk away and be unchanged. 
And we can isolate ourselves very easily. We've come into a couple years of isolation, right, where we were, we were isolated. And some of us are just more people that are kind of, we're not, we don't want to bust down the walls. We're kind of cool being isolated, you know. We like that. Like, hey, nobody's coming over today. That's great. Nobody asked me how, how I'm doing. I like that, you know. But when you actually get involved with people, people in need, it starts to affect you. It's hard to look at the face of poverty and just walk away and be like, yeah, I don't care. And so what I'm saying is that in your neighborhood, with your neighbors, if you actually get to know your neighbors and those around, you'll find out that they actually have needs and it will be hard for you to walk away. And you will actually start to do the things that God called you to do. And so simply having conversations with people and getting involved with people, getting your hands dirty with people will affect who, what you do. It just changes you. It's one of God's graces in your life to put you around people in need and all of a sudden that you're going to change. And so if you open your home to more people and get involved with the lives of those around you, you'll start to care more. You really will. You'll start to really care about the whole person. You'll start to see them as people. You ever had a, a, a neighbor that bothered you? Anybody here had a neighbor that bothered them? Nobody. Man, y'all, oh, there we go. We got one, two. So we got two honest, you know. The rest of y'all are liars. Or you live out in the country and you ain't got no neighbors, right? So we've all had somebody that, that bothered us. And we, you know, I don't like when they do this. I don't like their dumb dog, you know. He's always barking, you know. I saw him walk by, and he, his dog pooped in my, in, in my yard, and he didn't even clean it up, you know. I mean, they, they park weird in their driveway, and it bothers me. They got a light on their backyard, and it, it goes into my, and, 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 and now what happens is typically we don't know that person, do we? We don't really know them. We, we might have seen them outside. We go, hey, I hate you so much, you know. You know, we, 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 but we don't know them. Because actually, when you get to know that person, <laughs> you get to see who they are as a whole person. They're not just a bothersome thing. You can actually talk to them. Now, that principle happens with neighbors that we just don't get along with. What will happen if we actually get to know them and start seeing their needs? Spiritual needs, physical needs, emotional needs. And we actually say, I can't step away. I'm a Christian. Jesus didn't step away in my need. And so when I see this need, how can I step away? We can't. And so simply by caring for those around you, by being a good neighbor, God will put people in your life and transform you. And you'll start to care about and see things differently and start to care about them and start to love them rightly. And it won't just be a character trait. It'll be a person trait. Church should care for the physical and spiritual needs of the poor around us. We are to not be stingy, to bless others, and trust God to bless us. Because the gospel is good, and because the needs are great. You and I are called to reach those needs. Spiritual needs, physical needs, emotional needs, those around us. You and I are called to do that as individuals and as a church body. Now, how can we do that well? How can we care for those around us? How can we serve the poor and serve the needy within this church and within our community?
How can you and I step up to the plate in that area? What do we need to change about us? Maybe, maybe the first thing you need to do is get out of debt. Honestly, that may be the thing to free up more money. You may just need to start paying off debt. Because you just don't have the capital to give anything away. Everything's tied up. You might need to sell that boat or that car. Again, these choices are never easy. They are hard. And I'm not here to tell you what choices where God's called you and all those things or make you feel guilty because you got a boat. But I'm just trying to challenge us to think differently. To consider the needs of those around you, the needs of the perishing, as more important than my comfort. To consider that eternal things are valuable. It's It's not an easy thing to do. It's a thing I'm trying to learn myself. I'm trying to walk through myself. I want us to go on this journey together to figure out what that looks like. The first step is just understanding where we're going. Let's be Christians who care for the poor and for the needy. Let's be a church that blesses this community. Would you pray with me? Thank you for joining us in our podcast today. To find out more about Fellowship Baptist Church, simply go to fellowshiplexington.com or join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1030 if you're ever in the Lexington, South Carolina area. Fellowship Baptist Church exists to gather, grow, give, and go for the glory of God.